This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, Jeffrey Steiner joins us to dive deep into consistency groups and how performance has improved for CM workloads in the latest ONTAP releases. Well, 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 well. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipark. Zipark. I love NetApp because it's so funny. Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm here in the basement of my house and with me today I have on the phone uh, Jeffrey Steiner. Jeff, what do you do here at NetApp and how do we reach you? So I am basically the database guy. So I've been here for 17 years, 16 years, long time. Um, I actually became a customer back in 1995 and I've been doing databases of many types on ONTAP for that long. And uh, finally joined the company about 17 years back. And so now I'm, I basically uh, work almost anywhere in product operations where a database is involved. And sometimes that's escalations of weird things customers have run into. Sometimes we're talking about futures and things like that. And sometimes it's just writing documentation that explains how to get the best out of ONTAP for database workload. I wanted you to come on here, not because of databases directly, but because of an email thread that was going around here at NetApp. And you were going into good detail about consistency groups and LUNs and, you know, the benefits and drawbacks of those and what, you know, some things to consider. Um, so I wanted to highlight that. So before we do that, let's talk about consistency groups. Give me a history of that and where we are today. All right. So a consistency group is a term that basically means a grouping of storage objects. and until fairly recently, you probably never heard anyone at NetApp say consistency group because we, honestly, we don't use the term all that much, but we have them. So here's the issue. Let's say you got a data set and it's spread across 10 LUNs. If you're using a competing storage array where all they've just got is LUNs, then you would often define a consistency group. You're basically taking that grouping of LUNs and you're saying, okay, I want to replicate them as a unit and back them up as a unit or clone them as a unit. And the terms differ, but basically it's multiple storage objects being managed as a single group. Now here's where the confusion arose. We did not call it a consistency group because we have this thing called a volume. With almost every other competitor, the word volume and LUN are synonymous, and they're not with us. And it's only recently I've come to realize just how confusing that can be to a newcomer. So for us, a volume is a consistency group. And I would like to say that again, because it's really important, and I keep saying this on the email groups over and over, a volume is a consistency group. If you throw 10 LUNs into a volume, or you have a bunch of SMB files, or a bunch of NFS files, that volume is that consistency group management container. You snapshot it all as a unit, you clone it as a unit, replicate as a unit, set policies as a unit. It is a consistency group, even though we don't use the name. Now, historically, we had something kind of called consistency groups, but they were APIs. And it was essentially a consistency group of consistency groups. Sometimes you have data that all fits inside of a single volume and you manage that as a unit, but sometimes you have multiple volumes. Like maybe you have multiple parts of a database. Like some of your LUNs are used for logs. Some of them are used for data files. Sometimes you want to treat that as two different groups, sometimes one big group. 
So we had the ability to do a consistent operation on a group of LUNs. So we called it CG start and CG commit. That was the API calls. And yes, that meant consistency group, but that absolutely was not the fundamental consistency group for ONTAP. The volume was our consistency group. Does that make sense so far? Yeah, it does. And and I think part of the problem is the term consistency, right? So that can mean a lot of different things when we're dealing with applications and data. Like you have application consistency, you have snapshot consistency. So when we say consistency groups, it sounds like we're talking about snapshot consistency more so than application consistency. Yeah. And it, I guess that's part of the problem because the the term consistency group doesn't have a standard meaning. It's sort of like IOPS, which is a whole different topic, but IOPS has, IOPS means whatever you want IOPS to mean. Same thing for consistency group. What are you trying to do? For them, when you're just talking about storage, it usually means those low-level storage operations on a group of objects. And so as you've probably seen me email back, when we have a customer saying, oh, my customer is demanding consumer group, consistency groups, um, what, what's our message here? I will send that same email off. A, a volume is a consistency group. So if you have a given server, a VM, a group of VMs that's associated data, throw all your data in the same volume, that volume is a consistency group. We don't use the term, but that's exactly what it is. Now, this is where things get a little more confusing. Now we've got kind of consistency group number three. So we had those old APIs, CG start, CG commit, where it was an informal scriptable way to do consistency groups of volumes, which are themselves consistency groups. Sorry if this is getting confusing, but, but for the most part, you just use the volume. That's a consistency group. Now we've got this framework that is informally known as AppDM. But what it's really about is application-aware management, where we recognize that some data sets have to be spread across multiple volumes. So if you need four volumes, you need to spread your, your database across maybe even four controllers. So you've got one volume on each controller. You might need to take a snapshot of all of that data across all the different controllers at a single atomic point in time. That that's where the new consistency group model comes in. So on ONTAP, you can define a group of volumes as essentially related. Sorry if you can hear a cat in the morning. In he the, doesn't agree with you. He's like, no, you're yeah, lying. I know. It's really weird. They they stand in the corners, just random corners of the house, and just meow while leaning backwards and sort of looking upside down back at you. I went online and it said, no, it's not a problem. It's actually fun. They're, they're, they're enjoying the echoey sound of doing that in a corner. So <laughs> I don't know why he decided to do it right now. And now he's leaving again. Cats right. are weird. All right. Um, so, um, so now it's this new consistency group is sort of a mega consistency group where if you want to do a, a big coordinated snapshot across um, a number of controllers, so unfortunately, that means we've kind of got three different flavors of consistency group. So the, the advice that I've been giving to the field and to customers is, for the most part, a volume is your consistency group. If you just put all the data that you want to manage as a single unit in a single volume, you're done. That's a consistency group. If you have that massive 
900 terabyte database that you have now split across multiple controllers or even multiple clusters. We can still do consistent operations across all that data. Um, what we, we're going to need a whiteboard so I can explain exactly how to do it based on exactly what you want to do. This whole idea of a consistency group with multiple volumes that got added to ONTAP didn't just happen in a vacuum. I imagine we had customers asking for it. Why were they asking for it specifically? Why why can't we just use a single volume for this? What do they what do they need that isn't available there? All right. Now the answer to that one in the past, and I'd like to make make it clear, this is in the past, almost always came down to some performance limits we had related to volumes as well as performance limits related to LUNs. Now, this is prior to ONTEP 9.9.1. Everything I'm about to say here does not really apply anymore. The way that ONTEP threads work, uh, kind of, it optimizes for multiple workloads. Like I, I won't name names, but there are competitors out there that make some storage products that are very, very good for one workload. Like if you have one database or one analytics program that does one read and one write, then you aren't going to get the best out of your ONTAP system because that's just not what it's designed to do. We we aim for multiple workloads. So try one of these competing arrays with like 10 databases or 20 or 100 databases or lots of mixed workloads. And that's where NetApp shines because we can have those multiple workloads all sharing the same capabilities and running in a manageable way. So a side effect of that is, well, we have to thread. So what happened prior to 9.9.1 is some customers would bump into the maximum amount of work that you can push on a single volume. Like for example, what there was there were some workloads where whether you put one line or 50 lines, or whatever IO patterns you did, you are not going to get beyond the performance of that single volume. You needed to have two volumes in play in order to get the best performance. Likewise, there were some limits related to LUNs where that one LUN that you were hitting with all that IO was reaching its limits. You cannot go faster than that one LUN. And then lastly, we have some workloads that really did need multiple controllers. And now you, you have you have to have multiple controllers and multiple volumes in play. So what do you do? If I have a snapshot that is say, sorry, if I have a database that is spread across four controllers and I want a instant space efficient backup or clone or a replication of that database, I have to snapshot and operate on all of those volumes in a single atomic way. That's why we needed the consistency groups. And initially, we just had those very basic APIs. You, there was no way for you to even access that with System Manager, the CLI. You had to do the API calls, and that worked fine for a long time. But it it, it hit its limits, so we needed to be more I don't know, more user friendly. That's where the current consistency group capabilities came in. And if you haven't looked at this prior to nine point ten, you need to look again because it's continued to evolve. We are we're aiming for a lot more flexibility in how you define the consistency groups and manage it. And we are adding more capabilities all the time. So you, you have to go into system manager and really take it for a tour. But basically, if you have a database that needs four volumes on four different controllers, you can do that now. And you can schedule the snapshots on the group, not the individual volumes, but the group as a whole. 
and you can configure replication of that group as a whole. Now, that only applies to uh, SMBC at the moment, but there is a roadmap for this, and you'll have to just keep up with what is being introduced with each successive release. So the point here really is, um, honestly, that the, the goal is that you don't think about LUNs and files and volumes. You think about applications. For example, you might have a database that is a consistency group of consistency groups. So I define consistency group one is all of the volumes supporting the data files. Consistency group two is all the volumes supporting the log files. Now I can clone that whole big grouping of everything and get an atomic clone of my database. Or I can do a crash consistent backup of the entire database by snapshotting everything. Or maybe I just want to take a snapshot of the data file consistency group, but not the log consistency group. So what I end up doing is just snapshotting and replicating and cloning the group. The, I'm, I'm managing data, not a bunch of individual LUNs and having to trace back which LUN is where and what's associated with what. I just define my applications on ONTAP itself and then manage the application as an application. So that's the vision. And we're... Uh, we're, we're making progress. There's a lot of features in ONTAP that need this sort of CG support, but we're we're getting there. The basics are there now. Um, this dramatically simplifies the ability to do um, uh, data basic data protection and at risk of making someone in a certain product manager mad. Um, this capability can actually replace uh, products like Snap Manager for Oracle, Snap Center, and Snap Creator in some cases, and not all the time. But if what you're seeking is just basic backups, this consistency group capability can let you do that directly on ONTAP without any need for external software. Now, if you need a GUI to drive the cloning process or the restore process, yes, you still need Snap Center. But there's an awful lot of customers that just want the backups and that's it. It sounds like we have a use case here you know, I guess the original use case was, hey, we have a limitation in ONTAP. Let's work around it by doing this. And it's it's similar to what we did with Flex Group Volumes, right? We added this multi-threaded yep. group of volumes to try to get around a single volume limitation. But now, you know, we've we've adjusted how ONTAP handles LUNs in a single volume. So that problem doesn't exist anymore. But this this the way you're talking about it is there's other problems that get solved with consistency groups. Yes. And and you also touched on something there that kind of I know, works against consistency groups because they are less needed. Uh, one quick note, when you talked about flex groups, that is a consistency group. If you snapshot a flex group, you need to have the consistent snapshots across all of the constituent volumes. And flex groups uses a lot of the core functionality that uh, the, the larger consistency group project has. So you are benefiting from a CG implementation there. But here's the catch um, about, about performance. A lot of this is not needed anymore. So I have uh, almost wish we could do a, what do we call a podcast? Maybe a word for a podcast where there's like actual video with it. I mean, yes, I know you can record a Zoom, but but yeah, that's, (laughs) well, you can glance at a phone and like have a little, do you have have a demo video that you can point people to, or maybe this is an opportunity. You know, I need to blog this and I will, I will, and I will put the charts on it. So basically what happened and I'm, what I took, what I started with prior to nine, nine, one, then this is 
This all dovetails into consistency groups, but this is the reason why consistency groups are less important than they used to be and why volumes are a better consistency group model than they used to be. So prior to 991, for a basic high-end AFF system with a database type workload with around, well, let's start with 100% reads, a single LUN would hit the wall in terms of performance at approximately 35,000 IOPS. So no matter, and I know IOPS is a dangerous term to use because it kind of depends on read ratios and write ratios and block sizes and latencies. So this is a very general topic. But what I tried to do is create a database-ish type workload. And I could, I could see, and this is what I will put in the blog, a single, a single LUN would hit the wall at around 35,000 IOPS. Now, a single volume if you loaded it up with enough LUNs, would hit the wall at about 100,000 IOPS. So that means if you have a, a volume with one LUN in it, you can get 35,000 IOPS, which isn't bad. I mean, that can you can do a lot of things with that, but some things need more. Like if you had a lot of VMDKs in there, like a big VMFS data store, you're going to need more than 35,000 IOPS. If you have an Oracle database, I mean, you need more than 35,000 IOPS from a one LUN. Now, if you then started adding more LUNs, you'd get better performance. So one LUN, 35,000 IOPS, two LUNs, scary to about linearly. You now have about 70,000 IOPS. But then you start hitting the thread limits of the volume, and that volume could not thread more than around, eh, call it 110,000 IOPS. So that means that the, the sweet spot, as it used to be, was if you have around eight LUNs, you can get 100,000 IOPS from that collection of eight lines in a volume. If you needed more than that, you had to have multiple volumes. The only way you're breaking that 110,000 mark is by adding a second volume. Now we need consistency groups in order to get consistent snapshots and clones and replication and all that of the two volumes. So I got a scary chart that I will show you that illustrates that problem, but fortunately that went away in 991. In what 991 did uh, with SAN workloads was sort of removing the volume and LUN as as a thread. It's just fiber channel IO fiber channel IO operations, block operation. Well, I guess iSCSI too. It's just block operations, SAN operations. That's it. So now one LUN hits the wall in my tests anyway. Um, at around, let's see, 130,000 IOPS. So we've gone from 30,000, 35,000 or so to 130,000. Yes, in 991, a single LUN in real world type tests will be about four times faster, four times more IOPS than it used to be. Not only that, the, the latency is about 40% lower. So even at lower levels, an upgrade to 991 improves performance because the latency gets better. So what this did is it genuinely allowed a lot of customers that previously had multiple LUNs and multiple volumes to drop the whole darn workload on one LUN and one volume and call it a day. It was a huge performance increase. And all you got to do is upgrade ONTAP. If you're a 991, you've got that improvement. In addition, the volume limit largely disappears, not completely, but almost. 
if you have the single volume, that volume maxes out at around 230,000 IOPS. So the volume limit is also two times higher. So, I mean, huge difference. What's So the result of that is you can now do a much more powerful workload in a single volume than you ever could before. You are way less likely to need multiple volumes. And one last note on this, there is no best practice that says you should have one LUN per one, per volume. I That occasionally was necessary if you were going for the absolute maximum possible IOPS out of a platform. But unless you're doing some crazy, huge, intense benchmark, that's just not required. There's never been a best practice for that. You do not need to do that. It's, it's just adding additional complexity. Unless you have a reason to use more than one volume, throw all the related ones in the run volume, call it a day, 250,000 IOPS. And one last little thing that I should mention, if there is a little, there's one remaining effect on writes. If you have a write heavy workload, you might actually need to split it between two volumes, but almost nobody gets that far in terms of writes where they would see a benefit. So um, it don't worry about that. And the, I, when I post this blog here, I've got all the nice charts in front of me right now. Um, actually, you know, this email alone could probably be posted almost as a blog unknown altered. I actually show what is the difference if I take 16 LUNs and I put them all in a single volume or spread them into two volumes or spread them into four or eight or 16 and do just 100% reads. The performance difference is literally nothing. 16 LUNs in one volume, 16 LUNs, one LUN per volume, same thing. The line is identical the whole way through the chart. It does start to diverge if you start adding some writes, but not by much. Yeah, I, I remember in my support days, the single LUN per volume recommendation was made. And that was generally not just because of performance, but also because of how Snap Manager products would operate with backups. And it was like segmenting things off and making it better to restore. You know, those those types of things have gone away with better application handling, um, better performance handling and ONTAP. So, I mean, yeah, you're right. There's there's holdovers from that. And I, I think we ha- we saw the same thing with with VMware recommendations. So it used to be that you'd recommend a volume per data store or something. And it would just be like, you know, or a lift. Per, no, I know what it was. It was a lift per data store per node. Oh, I forgot the lift thing. Too. Remember yeah, we had to associate I, lifts with data stores because of some reason, right? <laughs> well, I know what that came from the exact same uh, source as this one-to-one volume to LUN ratio, where we had all these documents floating around out there that were written by the workload engineering guys, whose job is to push something to the limits. And we will rely on those architectures when we have a customer that has like one database that's going to eat all four controllers of a single cluster for just the one database. And we want every last scrap of a performance. So what would happen is someone looks at these documents of like how we did a TPC test or an SPC benchmark. And they say, oh, well, we'll just follow that. And yeah, if you if you add all that extra complexity, maybe you get an extra 5% performance, but most of that is totally unnecessary. And I had that conversation with some customers myself about the whole lift of volume. And I'd, I'd say, okay, yeah. I mean, if you really want the absolute best possible theoretical performance, yes, you need to do that. But do you? I mean, why? I remember, I remember like you'd have to move the lift with the volume and it got really complex, right? And, and 
they also don't consider things like limits of IP addresses, limits of interfaces. And then, you know, in addition to that, limits of volumes. Like we have volume limits per node. So you can start to eat those up. I mean, where does it end? We could start like, we, we could tell everybody they have to buy like, I don't know, one Ethernet switch per lift because we're worried that the CPU and a switch is going to start in, in impacting something. And okay, yeah, maybe if we're really measuring carefully, one Ethernet switch is better, is worse than two. But I mean, come on, there's got to be more important things to deal with. Yeah, and we run into this in the database world a lot where... Um, we get into the weeds of the benchmark and the presumption is like whoever's storage system produces the most IOPS is going to be the fastest for everything. And like you miss things like, all right, let's take it XIV. XIV storage arrays. I haven't seen one of those in ages. I don't know if they're just gone or renamed, but they could do a huge amount of IOPS where like an ONTAP system would be unable to deliver the same number of IOPS as an as a comparable XIV. But the actual latency of each one of those IOs on the XIV was way higher than on tap. So yes, the system with the higher IOPS capability would actually perform worse for your database. I mean, life is life is complicated. <laughs> you it, you can't just keep you'd need to look at something other than running something to the absolute theoretical limit and try just assuming that that that's where the standard should be. You need to look at your actual workloads and ask yourself, how will the storage system perform, not just performance, but also manageability for your actual workloads, not some hypothetical benchmark you drug up. Yeah. And, and really that's, part of how the field thinks like they're like oh well what's that what's the maximum what's the most we can do because that's what the customers ask and the customers don't necessarily know their workloads all the time so they're not they don't understand the type of workloads that's being used if it's a metadata workload or not they don't necessarily understand how many iops they need they just want the most (laughs) and that's going to be it's like the easiest way to approach it i understand that but it is important because then you start to overcomplicate things if you try to design for the the upper end we, I, I did a, a presentation at Insight with uh, Nito a couple of times where it was um, worst practices. And we, it was our one opportunity to like look customers straight in the eye and tell them how they keep screwing up. And you can't do that in an actual, <laughs> in an actual meeting with a customer on site, but we could sure do it in Insight. And I think we made the point well, like we would show these examples of here's a customer with a financials database. We can see the peak IO that this had ever got in the past five years was 20,000 IOPS. And if you think about it, you could do HR and pay the bills and manage a supply chain on a 30-year-old VAX. I mean, there are some things that need a thousand times more performance than they used to, but a lot of these business processes just don't. So if what you need is 20,000 IOPS, why are we obsessing about whether or not my array can meet 1 million IOPS versus 1.1 million IOPS. You don't need anything like that. And I've tried to find the right way to say to a customer, look, if you really insist, we will take your money, but this is a colossal waste of resources on your part because I could literally run your database on a virtual machine running on tap. And the smallest system we sell would literally be overkill for this workload that you are somehow convinced is the most harsh thing that has ever been seen in the, the universe. And to be honest, 
that pro- they probably were struggling 15 years ago when they still had spinning disk. But for so many of these workloads, the day that all flash storage became affordable was the day that storage from, I mean, any vendor could easily meet the requirements of that database that was causing so many headaches for so many years. What you really should be asking now is not how fast is it for this one database? It's how many databases can I stuff onto a single controller? It's it that it really has turned to manageability. Flash just solved the performance problem for us to almost completely. It's really about manageability now, not raw performance potential. Yeah, but no one believes me. Well, I also think that there's this this thinking that, you know, <laughs> newer is faster and better, right? So this twenty thousand IOPS I was getting, I, I could improve that just by going to a newer system. And and sometimes you can. But it's, it goes back to understanding your workloads and understanding where those bottlenecks work. Because maybe that bottleneck isn't the storage. Maybe that bottleneck is the way the application is designed. Yeah, that happens a lot too. There's a thing called an Oracle AWR report where uh, it shows you basically the bottlenecks. Where was the database spending its time? And I, that's another, <laughs> another conversation I have over and over where a customer will say, oh no, my database is so slow. And I will show them the AWR report and I'll say, okay, this is what you're saying is slow. Your database is literally 97.1% invested in CPU work on the database server. And that doesn't mean you need more CPUs. Not that your Oracle sales rep wouldn't appreciate it. They'll take your money too. But what you've got here is like a 16 core server that is using one core because your query is not written very efficiently. The other cores are bored. Storage is bored. And you you can spend more money on bigger servers, won't matter. You can spend more money on storage, won't matter. Upgrade storage, downgrade storage, won't matter at all. The day you got all flash was the day your storage problems went away. If you really want to make this go faster, go spend $50,000 on a SQL tuning expert and have them retune your SQL queries. That's that's where you're going to get your benefit. But I mean, for so long, I mean, most of my history in IT, the limit was either the CPU core, the storage, or the network. That's what we struggled with. And you could spend your way out of a problem. You could always get better database performance if you were willing to spend more money. And that's just not true anymore. So back to the consistency group thing, you know, I could see another use case where it makes sense to have multiple volumes. And that's if you have you know, two node cluster, four node cluster, you don't necessarily want to have a single node <laughs> doing all the work, right? I mean, you could spread that out a little better, get a little more even distribution and not feel like you're you're wasting your money by boring the other nodes, right? With, I'll give you an example in the database world. Um, we see two approaches to this. Sometimes if there's a lot of databases, they will get a two node cluster and they'll put data files on uh, controller one and logs and controller two, knowing that the logs tend to use more space, not always, but the logs usually use more space, but they're not very IO intensive. The data files are often in the net smaller than the total logs being stored, but a lot more IO intense. And then as they provision database after database, they flip-flop it. So database one, it's data files in controller one. And then the next one, data files in controller two, then one, then two, then one, then two. And as long as your databases are roughly equivalent in performance demands, the result is a pretty even loading. Um, the other way to do it, and this has honestly always been my preference when back when I was with the field, is I would balance. So if I have a database and I've determined I'm going to need 
32 LUNs to support the data files of a certain size. I will put 16 of them on controller one and 16 of them on controller two. Same with the logs. So what that means is my IO is always going to be evenly distributed across both controllers. And I will never have a situation where one controller is overloaded and the other controller is more lightly used. Now that also so means that, you need more volumes because you can't have a volume that spans two nodes unless you're a flex group, yep. but flex groups NAS, right? So you're dealing with that problem of needing a consistency group. Yes. And if, yes, if you, and that's where, if you are going, well, the additional volumes aren't that much. So we've got a doubling of volumes. That's not that big of a deal. I certainly don't want to do one LUN per volume. That's a waste of volumes. Right. But, um, having two volumes instead of one is not that much. I'm I'm not going to go anywhere near the per volume limit in a database configuration for for that. I, as a general rule, I doubt you'd be able to get more than maybe 500 databases on a couple of controllers. I mean, no reason you can't. Right? But on the whole, you you're going to have enough work where after 500 or so, there's just no way you're going that that's about where you're probably going to max out your controllers yeah but that's, so, that's, that's going back to the manageability question right yeah that's, that's really where the consistency group is going to come into play like that's how we yep. manage them a lot better and now with the consistency group feature i could um i could certainly use applications that will call the required apis but if i just want each of these databases to have a basic snapshot backup schedule I can now take the volume on controller one and the volume on controller two, define them as a consistency group and set the snapshot schedule. And now my databases are now being snapshotted right on the storage system. And that's a perfectly usable, recoverable, clonable, replicatable backup. And I didn't need any external software to do it. In the past, I would have needed a product like Snap Creator to call the required APIs, but the new most current consistency group feature that you can play around with in System Manager, that lets me define all this stuff right on the ONTAP system. And it scales from there. The biggest scale I've ever seen this done was actually 12 independent clusters where we um, we had to use those raw APIs and we actually were doing consistency group snapshots against across one day for one database across 12 completely separate clusters. So it scales. I don't hardly anyone needs to do that, but if you need to, we can do it. Right. I'd still prefer that you be able to just throw everything on the one volume and set the snapshots there. But I guess what we're we are offering too many choices. I know. <laughs> well, I know well, it, it. That's the challenge. It goes against right? the simplicity. Yeah. I mean, what I do mean, you do? I, it's it's so that's that's the problem with the you know the field has like we have all these options and you're overwhelmed by choices. So then they come to us and say, "Hey, what's the best way to do this?" And then our answer is always, "What? It depends. It depends, right?" And it's like a constant back and forth, and it's hard. These problems are hard. So really, what it takes is getting that information up front. Because if you don't have that information up front, you're basically asking me to predict the future. Is what you're trying to do. Well, what I always push for is I want I want stories. Don't give me SLAs. Give me a story. If you've got I don't know, 50 databases and 12 applications. Tell me, what is your, uh, how are you going to manage it? How often do you refresh clones? How often do you think you need to do a backup or a restore? How long do you need to retain the backups? Um, what are your current headaches? What are your performance requirements? Just tell me what you want to happen in the end. And then I will tell you what features you need to use. Now, there's an awful lot of our customer base are just generalists where they don't have to worry about this level. But when you are dealing with databases, 
the answer is always it depends. There's so many different, there's so much variation where you get one customer that thinks that their 100 gigabyte database is enormous. And then there's another customer that will like overlook that 120 terabyte database data warehouse because it's just not that big to them. You get two customers that sound like they're doing the same thing and sound like they're doing, they have the same requirements. One of them needs 20,000 IOPS, the other needs 650,000. You just never know what you're going to get. So we need the explanation and then build the architecture to suit whatever the business need was. Sounds like an opportunity to create a checklist or a decision matrix for these people, right? So you, you have like this document that can be sent out here. Here's what you need to get. Here's an example of what you need to get. Have fun. Yeah, we've we've actually talked about that. I think I probably even have an email to myself to um, go <laughs> like through that. I call, well, it was the questionnaire. Um, I mean, the ideally we would have one of our solution architects go out because they live in this space and. Like you ask uh, uh, Megan McPherson, uh, Paul Winkle, Chaz Dye, um, like you say, hey, this customer said, just said the word Oracle. Can you talk to them? And they know exactly what to do. They'll say, okay, take me through the the basics. What do you want to have happen? And then explain the SLAs and then let me let me tell you how we would meet your requirements. And they're basically mentally doing that questionnaire. And they will then know, like, these are the features that this customer would value. And these are the ones that are really not all that important. And these are the potential pain points. And here's the problems that we definitely, definitely need to solve in the new architecture. But you know, how do you even, if you were just a customer, unless you knew the storage product inside and out, how would you even know where to start? Like you, you don't know what the product can and can't do. You know what you want to have, what the end result needs to be. I mean, you know what problems you need solved but i don't i don't know if i could just simply send somebody a description of how does ontap work with databases please read this and then make it clear enough for them to get to the guaranteed right answer you really need to talk to someone like an sa or um, or me i get involved with these field opportunities too where we understand where you're going with the project and then we will build the architecture around it yeah, and that's basically the thing, right? You have, here's a list of things you need to ask. Here's a list of things that you need to gather before we can really come to a good solution for this particular application. Yep. And also it reminds me of something that um, they, they told me in Germany. Um, I was in Munich for, I guess, seven years. Um, it started with an interesting Oracle project. Um, and seven years later, I'm still there and my children speak German and uh, one of my kids is still in English as a second language. It's, it's kind of a odd situation for me to be in, but um, <laughs> it's, it's been, it's been a fun time. So uh, anyway, um, what they, so, somebody said to me um, is that um, I think they might've been talking about SAP, but they said something along the lines of um, at some places, people will spend 10% of their time understanding the problem and 90% of their time fixing the problem. We prefer to spend 90% of our time understanding the problem and then 10% fixing it. And you know, I, I got to say, I saw signs of that in a lot of the German engineering mindset. So many projects worked differently there because the customer or, or the engineering team partners were really focused on understanding exactly what the issue is. And then they go, and we'll fix it like this. And it, so many things it made, it just made so many things so much easier. Now, there's a time and a place for getting really creative and just 
throwing everything at the wall and seeing what fixed what what sticks. And I like that, but it's not always the most productive way to get to the answer. Right. All right. So in your email, you kind of made this recommendation of eight lungs in a single flex vault. And I think I know where that comes from, but let's talk about why eight is the magic number there. All right. So scrolling around here. So I'm not totally sure why eight i would i wish i knew exactly why eight seemed to be better than four I think, now, an fin- I think it's affinity related like an affinity well, I don't, one it shouldn't be not with 9.1 those affinity limits should be mostly gone um and now not that it couldn't be i'm I, there could be some affinity limits here but here's the other thing there's well, that whole notion of affinity basically a thread mm-hmm. that's not just in on tap so what I found is that as of 9.991, the sweet spot is four to eight LUNs. Yes, eight LUNs in a volume does a little bit better than four, um, but it's not that much better. And we don't know for sure why. Like, for example, how much of that is the fact that ONTAP is threading better? How much of that is that the host OS is threading better? How much of that is that certain buffers inside of the host SCSI, the host fiber channel or iSCSI stack are parallelizing better? We don't know exactly why eight is better than four. I can say for sure that I saw almost no benefit from going all the way to 16, but- um, Well, I'm, I'm talking it, about affinities that are at the aggregate level, right? So I know we have this with flex group volume, like you can't like eight more than eight member volumes in an aggregate is not in, in a certain platform is not going to get you more performance if you add 16 because you only have eight affinities in that aggregate for, for those platforms other platforms it's like four per aggregate so i i think that this eight luns in a single flex ball is eight affinities in that aggregate on this particular node but is that still applying to 991 because i honestly thought that 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 volume level affinity i think we actually refer to it as a stripe affinity um I think that term is still valid, but well, this is aggregate affinity. Like we only have a certain number of affinities per volume. Oh, if we have multiple aggregates, then yes, that changes the equation more. I didn't, I only did my tests with a single aggregate because that's almost always what I see one data aggregate per controller. Right. So if you're, if your flex fall spans multiple aggregates, then maybe you get more performance, but I don't. don't And in particular, um, more volumes. I, I, okay. I think, that there were two basically right affinities for the aggregate per aggregate. And this could certainly vary based on controller, but what I could clearly see is uh, with, as my right levels increased um, two volumes were twice as fast as one volume. Right. And likewise, but here's the thing, four is not better. Eight is not better. 16 is not better. That was still all the same because if I've got two or four or eight or 16 volumes, and I've got two right affinities, I'm always distributing my right work, right IO across both of those aggregate right affinities. Mm-hmm. And that's probably not the right term for it, right? Right affinity may not be the right term, but the point is, is that there were sort of two work cues for rights. And if I only have one volume, I can only keep one of those cues busy. If I have two volumes, I can keep both of them busy. And, and I'm as mainly, a practice- I mainly look at the chart where you have basically like linear increases for one, two, four, and eight. And then when you get to 16, it's basically the same for reads, right? And I think that's where that limitate, that's where your bottleneck is, is like you're out of affinity resources. You'll still get good performance. It just won't be two times better because you've got 16 LUNs in a volume versus eight. 
I'm still skeptical that how, of just how much of this is ONTAP limit uh, related and how much of it was Linux related. Mm-hmm. Like as an example, AIX has some rather severe limits on the number of outstanding IO operations that can exist on a, a drive at a time. So AIX is notorious for needing a lot of LUNs. If you try to run a database on uh, on one LUN on AIX, the result is going to be a really bad performance. That LUN will be 100% busy at the OS level. ONTAP will be bored. And you really do need often on the order of 64 AIX LUNs in order to be for the OS to throw enough IO to really make a storage system busy. And that does happen with Linux um, quite a bit. I know, yes, we can do 100,000 LUN, uh, sorry, 100,000 IOPS with really good latency on a single LUN. Um, but I'm certain that that limit is not um, primarily ONTAP related. That's Linux. Gotcha. The, there's a limit to just how much Linux IO will go down a single Linux LUN. And it is getting better. And NVMe should continue to change this. But if you are looking at performance, you really do have to remember that there's a storage system, but there's also an OS. If the storage system isn't getting the IOs, it's not going to be able to process them. Then there's a network. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that one kind of goes back and forth. I It has been quite a while since I've seen um, performance significantly limited by the network, mostly because, like I said earlier, storage is just rarely a performance problem with databases anyway. Uh, it's probably the application anyway. I, I've often am telling, um, just to emphasize my point, I will tell a an account team, tell your customer that we looked at the AWR and um, if we gave them a five-year-old FAS 8060 that someone found in a storage closet, it will not materially impact performance. It They just don't not have a storage issue. And really, Anybody with all flash storage probably doesn't have a storage performance issue anymore. It can be, but not usually. Okay. All right. So, you know, let's, let's kind of give the high level summary. Like let's talk about, you know, best ways to use consistency groups and what you should and should not do. Okay. So uh, the default position should be the volume is the flex is the sorry the volume is the consistency group throw all your luns or your files or whatever on single volume the volume is a consistency group and if you are responding to an rfp i have zero hesitation saying that we support what is it 2000 consistency groups per controller because that's what the volume is sorry was it per ha class i forget what it is whatever the, the volume limits are. That's how many consistency groups we can get on a controller. Now, if you need to get really creative with cross-cluster and crazy scripted stuff, we also have consistency group APIs that might be useful for really exotic consistency groups, but you probably don't need to care about that. And the third one is this new consistency group feature allows you to improve manageability of consistency groups uh, by scheduling consistency group operations right at the storage system. So I'm, I'm sorry, we've got to give you the three different options there, but bottom line is we have APIs if you want to do something really weird. On the whole, a volume and the amount of IO you can put in a single FlexVol volume is way higher than ever before as of 9.9.1. That's probably everything you need to snapshot it consistently and clone it and restart and replicate it. You don't need to worry about anything else. And 
if you really are trying to scale out and you want to really have an application-centric management view, take a look at the new consistency group capabilities that you can get the basic understanding of how it works if you just look at System Manager, where it allows you to provision them right there on the GUI, and then read the RESTful APIs that go along with it. Uh, that's where you can get access to a lot of the more advanced capabilities of those consistency groups. But for the most part, volume, consistency group, same thing. Okay. Cool. So it uh, sounds like we've got a lot more information about consistency groups now. Uh, we have some things to think about when we're trying to deploy them. And that, you know, this whole concept of a FlexVol being a consistency group, I think is new on a lot of people. Yep. I've literally been saying this for, I don't know, I can check my email. I'm going to say 12 years. I've been saying this over and over for 12 years. I was a NetApp customer myself for many years. And I, I, mean, I it was obvious that they didn't use the term, but if I snapshot everything in a, in a volume, then that's a consistency group. It's a, it is an atomic operation at the volume level. So of course it's a consistency group. So I've been doing this for ages. This has been the basis of replication. And if you really look into the weeds, the basis of Metro cluster and a lot of different aspects of how Snap Manager for Oracle and Snap Center work. And this is not a new thing. It's just for some reason, we have never used that terminology before. Yep. But I'm trying to change that. Good. Keep keep up the good fight. <laughs> And I got to come back sometime soon since you brought up flex groups. Um, we just sort of reached critical mass where people are now discovering cool things to do with databases and flex groups, as well as cool things to do with uh, databases and snap lock, which also has its own nexus now with flex groups. So we'll have to talk again. Yeah. We'll have to definitely bring that up and talk about how that is helping to simplify the overall management experience there. And I'm now committed to blogging this topic of consistency groups so you can see all the charts right. here. And I've put you on the spot. Ask questions. All right, cool. Well, once you get that blog uh, written, we'll uh, we'll put it in the blog that we may send with the podcast. Uh, and uh, I don't know okay. if there's anything else you want to cover, but I think we've, we've gotten a good idea of what's going on here. Uh, yeah, I think that covers it. And, and I know this is a complicated thing. So whether you're a customer, partner, account team, uh, if you've got any questions about any of this or you want to get advanced access to the charts, steiner at netapp.com or jfs at netapp.com, Juliet Foxtrot Sierra, jfs at netapp.com. Just reach out to me directly and I'll give you the information. All right, excellent. Well, Jeff, thanks again for joining us and talking to us about consistency groups. You're welcome. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netapp.com or send us a tweet at netapp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or via TechOnTapPodcast.com. If you'd like to share today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Jeffrey Steiner for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.